Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Jane Urquhart. everybody and welcome to the second part of Romans 11. Um, now you know we've been reading through the series uh, Romans and we've been doing 9, 10, 11 specifically on God's heart but it doesn't stop at the end of this. I believe it's the beginning of something new that God wants to do amongst us, his people. So I'm really excited for what, what's going to be happening today and from today onwards. Um, so we're going to go straight into the scriptures because the word of God says it better than I can. Um, so Romans 11 verse 16. Since Abraham and the other patriarchs, that's Isaac and Jacob, were holy, their descendants, Israel, will also be holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again, for God has the power to graft them back in to the tree. You by nature were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature, by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into their tree where they belong. Amen. (laughs) Let's carry on. Verse 25. And Paul is saying, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, But this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved, as the scriptures say. The one who rescues will come from Zion and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. So before we go on to the rest of Romans 11, I just want to pick up on a couple of things here. Their hardness of hearts lasts only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Wow, I don't know if you've thought about that before. Some versions say the fullness of Gentiles and some say the full number. And I believe we're coming to those days where it can be both. Um, So there may be a full number. At any moment, the last Gentile to be saved could be saved. And then things are going to shift into Israel being saved. It could be that we as the Gentile church live in a fullness of God 
that it helps lead Israel to salvation. And I think both's going on. I think the church is coming into this season of living in the fullness of who we are in Christ, the, the bride living in everything that Christ has done for us in these days. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, Paul says, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. And he goes on to say, don't let your minds be led astray from your simple and pure devotion to Christ. So as the bride of Christ, there is a fullness for us to live in, living devoted to Jesus like never before. And this I believe will just lead the Jewish people to be jealous of, of their husband because in Hosea 2, in the Old Testament, this is what the Lord says to Israel. You will call me my husband and no longer call me master. In that day, I'll make a covenant for them. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Wow, the, the Gentile church, we have a mandate to show something to the Jewish people in mercy and kindness and fullness of love of the heart of God to provoke them to jealousy. Amazing. And they're the days that we're in. And it goes on to say, and so Israel will be saved. What does it mean for all Israel to be saved? Does it mean every single Jewish person? Well, we know that can't happen because it's those that believe in Jesus. But I believe there is a time where the Lord is revealing himself to his people and also his covenants to the land, where if you, if you like the whole of Israel, at some point, those that are in the land that are gonna recognize him and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all his promises to them in the land are going to happen. He is going to fulfill them because he made covenant with them. Exciting days, hey? So let's look at the rest of Romans 11, 28. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. In other words, we are now to be showing them mercy that they turn to him. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Wow. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever, amen. So if we move into chapter 12, it says, therefore, or and so, dear brothers and sisters, 
I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. It goes on to verse nine. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. And so often Romans 9, 10 and 11 aren't spoken about, but we can take Romans 12 and we use it to speak to the church. But it's a follow on from 11. It's a therefore and so. Paul is saying, live loving one another, live honouring one another, live, don't, live according to the, don't live according to the patterns of, of this world. He's talking to the Romans. Don't live according to your, your pagan practices. Live to what Christ has called us to, one new man living together, loving one another. Ephesians 2 had said that, that on the cross, the wall of hostility had been broken down. And he's warning so that the wall of hostility doesn't go back up again, which is actually what happened. And we're going to look at that now. In Romans 11, verse 25, we just go back there. Paul says, I don't want you to feel proud about yourselves. We're going to look at what happened with the Roman church because they didn't live as Paul was, was uh, asking them to. It didn't take very long. Um, for there to be uh, fighting amongst um, Jews and Christians. Um, and especially in Rome, the Roman church, more that it was aligning to its culture and pagan practices, this division came between Jews and um, Christians. Within a few hundred years, Christianity had become immersed into Roman culture. The Jews had become a minority. The church brought in uniformity and new traditions separate from Jewish roots and practices and customs that Jesus and the early church would all have lived. Intolerance and suspicion of unfamiliar customs, in addition to the unwillingness of Jews to convert to Christianity, often led to fear and hatred from their Christian neighbours. Hostility towards Jews became the policy of states and churches and the practice of many people. So you can see how this wall of hostility that Jesus had broken down between Jew and Gentile was starting to be erected again. So over hundreds of years, they were blamed. The Jewish people were blamed for so many things. They, they were, um, people were so suspicious of them their books were burned. There was forced conversions to Christianity. They couldn't marry Christians. They could have no land. They were expelled from one nation to another. They were blamed for any plagues or diseases that went around. Because they lived separate and because they had different eating um, practices that, that God had given them and cleansing rituals, they didn't fall prey to a lot of the stuff that, that people were, you know, the, the bubonic plague. And because of that, the, peop 
people around them blamed the Jews and said it was them that had brought these plagues on through because they were devils, basically. So they were killed. They were killed in small numbers and large numbers. And you could look in history and read down every year for hundreds and hundreds, basically 1800 years, where they were blamed and moved on and killed for so many things. Even in this nation, um, they were known as Christ killers. And um, around 1100 uh, AD, there was a, a Christian child that went missing in Norfolk in this country. And the Jews were blamed for kidnapping that child, killing that child and drinking its blood during Passover, um, which didn't happen. But because they were blamed, they were attacked and killed and the Jewish people were expelled. And that, that incident was called the blood libel, which people still believe today that that's what Jews do. So in 1543, Martin Luther, um, a German who's famous for the reformation of the church. He was in favor of the Jewish people and, um, and had a heart for them. But because they wouldn't convert, um, he got frustrated and angry with them. And in 1543, he published a paper in which he says that the Jews are a base whoring people that is no people of God and their boast of lineage, circumcision and law must be accounted as filth. He goes on to, to say terrible things about them and argues that their synagogues and schools should be set on fire, their prayer books destroyed, rabbis forbidden to preach, their homes should be razed and their property and money confiscated. There should be no mercy or kindness toward them. They should be given no legal protection and he called them poisonous and venomed worms that should be drafted into forced labor or expelled for all time, even going on to say, we are at fault in not slaying them. As well as the father of reformation, he also became known as the church father of antisemitism. And antisemitism is basically anti-Semite. A Semite, a group of people who speak a Semitic language, including Jews, Arabs, as well as ancient Babylonians, Assyrians and Phoenicians. Another word for a Jew, a Semite is another word for a Jew. Anti-Jewish, anti-Semite. His writings in Germany uh, perpetuated and to the point of in the 1930s, they were taken by Hitler and the Nazis and used against the Jewish people. That's why um, so much of the Holocaust was done in the name of Christ, in the name of Christianity. Um, and that's why Jews are, find it so hard when you talk about church or Jesus, because this is what they think about. It's interesting that um, in the book of Esther, the, you hear this speech from Haman who, hated Mordecai the Jew because he wouldn't bow down to him. And that's because Jews weren't to bow down to any other God except God. And Haman goes to the king in a rage and says, there is a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please the king, 
issue a decree that they be destroyed. Wow, that's anti-Semitism right there. And it's been going on all these years. There was a shift in uh, the 16, 17, 1800s where there were believers in Jesus and in the word of God um, called the Puritans who believed that Israel were a people blessed by God and they were to return to their land and God would bless them in their land. And it's interesting that in the early, uh, in the 1800s and the 1900s, there were quite a few British believers who took the word of God literally and had friendships with Jewish people to the point where um, they were working towards the Jewish people, um, th those that were left, um, going back to Israel. It wasn't known as Israel then, it was still known as Palestine, but there were a few Jews there and Arab farmers, they, all, they just lived there in this desert place together. So after World War I in 1917 to 1920, we had a leader in this nation, a prime minister, um, Lord Balfour, and he wrote a paper um, declaring that this government, our government recognised that Jewish people needed a homeland and it was to be in Israel. Because the British army were in the land at the time, um, they defeated the Ottoman Empire, the Turks, um, in the First World, during the First World War. Um, the British people were in the land and they were there, I believe, by God, to enable the Jewish people to come back to their homeland. Um, unfortunately, they capped the, um, the number of Jews that could go home. And also most of the land that they had, they gave to the Arabs, which became Jordan. Eventually Britain left um, the land and the UN took over. And in 1948, there was a vote and Israel declared themselves a nation. It, it's a pure miracle when you look at their history, how it's been over the last 1800 years. It's a pure miracle that they exist. It's a pure miracle that they are back in the land with their ancient currency, with their ancient language, and they're flourishing. And they are an amazing um, small nation that have more Nobel Prize winners than, than anywhere else. And uh, just continually come out with uh, life-saving and life-giving inventions and technology and they're a blessing in the earth which is what God always intended for them to be and we know that um, there is going to come a day where they're not only a blessing in the earth but they come back to their Messiah. Um, so we know what anti-semitism is now but also this is sort of moving uh, into anti-Israel um, rhetoric that goes on in the nations. Uh, we know they're surrounded by enemies that want them wiped off the, the map of the face of the earth. Um, and in many nations, you will have um, narrative that is anti-Israel. Anti-Semitism is just shifting, if you like, it hasn't gone away. And the Bible does talk in the future of nations coming against Israel and coming against Jerusalem and wanting to destroy them. Um, and that's to come, but God says he will intervene and ultimately he will 
um, overthrow their enemies and he will be the God of Israel and the whole world is gonna know it, okay? I believe we're at a critical juncture. And this is a word I've had for a, a couple of years, really, um, that the church comes back to its mandate of blessing Israel, the church, and having mercy on God's people. But also that nations align with the God of Israel. It's interesting that in this nation, um, in May, uh, the Church of England repented of how it treated the Jews back in 1100 um, and for it treating them, they'd been killed and expelled. Repenting of the blood libel and of the badge wearing, which is really significant for this nation, for them to do that. I believe it opens up for uh, our nation for a blessing from God to have repented. When I went to Poland with Jewish people earlier on this year, and they were uh, on our bus of Jewish people who had all lost people in the, in the Holocaust, um, I knew I had to ask them forgiveness for the church, um, for what had been done to them in the name of Christianity and in the name of Jesus, um, which they appreciated but I knew it was something I, I needed to do. Um, we, we have to humble ourselves and repent of wrong attitudes to any, anybody, but especially because God wanted the church to be merciful to his people and to provoke them to jealousy through love. And the church has done completely the opposite. So we do need to repent. We do need to acknowledge how the church has been in the last 1800 years. And that's why I believe we're at a critical juncture because I believe we're in a new day, this new shift, this new era where God is wanting his church and the nations to align with him. The Lord gave me a word a couple of years ago, well, maybe about five years ago now. Um, I was praying for this nation and he said, I've given this nation, Great Britain, I've given her a crown, but she needs to wear it in humility with regards to Israel. We do need to humble ourselves as a nation, that this nation would become, in scripture it's called a sheep nation. So we're a nation that hears the voice of God and walks in his ways. We're not a goat nation that bucks against God and his, his ways, amen. Uh, also, I, when I was, uh, we were praying for this nation during Brexit, you know, when um, Great Britain was looking whether they're going to leave Europe or not. And the Lord gave me the story of uh, where in Passover, he says to his disciples, go and untie the donkey and bring it to me. And if anyone says to you, why are you untying the donkey? Say, because our master has need of it. And I felt the Lord say then that he was untying our nation from um, Europe because he has a purpose for our nation to do with Jerusalem. Yeah, so as a nation, um, I believe it's really right that we pray for our, our leaders and for Liz Truss at this time. She has a heart for um, Israel and for Jerusalem. Um, so I believe it's such an important time for all of us as the church, shifting into a whole new era of aligning with the God of Israel, but also as a nation. So we need to be praying for them. We can 
give financially. We can support them, even if we think we don't know any. Um, we can turn our hearts toward them as a people and as a nation, like Andy's vision, where he he's focused on the church. He's focused on, yes, seeing people saved. Of course we need to be. And focused on where we're going, amen. Um, but also as he turned, he realised all these people behind him, the Jewish people. And as he turned, they could see, they could see the light. And, um, and that's the time that I believe we're in, that as we turn our hearts toward them, they are going to see the light. We won't be anymore the stumbling block in their way, um, but we will, living in the fullness of who we're called to be, draw them, draw them into the light that, that Jesus is um, for them. Amen. Shall we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that we are in amazing days with you, that your amazing plans and purposes for your church and your Jewish people together, Lord, together will make up the bride of Christ in these last days. Father, I thank you. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of your spirit. Father, I thank you that you take hold of our hearts, your church, turn our hearts to, to your people and to your plans and purposes, to your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You do a deep work in us, shifting us into what you're doing in, this, in these days, this critical juncture, Lord, where we shift into your plans and purposes, into your heart of love and honouring who you honour. Lord, do it in a church, in this church, in the church, in this nation. Do it in this nation. Turn us, Lord, as a nation even more for your purposes, Lord. And that your people will, will recognise you. That, Lord, they will be provoked to jealousy, to, to want you, to love you, to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Oh, Lord, that our church and our nation will be used for your glorious purposes in these last days. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. The Lord gave me a word recently from uh, Joshua 3:17, where it says the priests stand. They stand in the Jordan River and God is holding back the waters. But the priests who stand there carrying the presence of God or Jesus, if you like, as the whole nation crosses over. And Father, I thank you that in these days, we are your people who carry you and carry your presence. We will stand, Lord. We will uphold you, Lord. We will lift you up and glorify you, Lord, as long as it takes for your nation, your people, Israel, to cross over over from death to life into their covenant promises and standing with you, Lord Jesus. Father, thank you. Take hold of each one of us in your church to be those that stand like Esther for your people, for them to cross over into their inheritance, into their destiny with you, into their position with you as your people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You show us what this looks like. Or we just say, yes, 
Yes, yes, Lord. We will live as those sacrifices in Romans 12. We will live as those sacrifices and this is our worship to you. Not our, not our singing of songs, but how we live for your end time purposes, for your people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.